In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Last Sunday, we considered what our gospel lesson taught us about the great power and courage of faith. We heard of a blind man who boldly identified Jesus as the son of David, who had come to have mercy, and it was mercy he asked for because it was mercy he wanted. He wanted to receive his sight. He asked the right person and wanted the right thing. I repeated the following thematic statement several times while I was preaching. Faith knows whom it asks, and faith knows what it wants. And it occurred to me, even while I was preaching this sermon, that this is really the same theme that we will be considering on uh, Ash Wednesday, which we commemorate today, on Thursday. Today, we begin a series for our midweek Wednesday Lenten services on the Lord's Prayer. And we begin this evening with the introduction and the first petition. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, what clearer theme can there be from these words than this? Faith knows whom it asks, and faith knows what it wants. Faith knows whom it asks. Our Father in heaven, that is whom we ask. Faith knows what it wants, hallowed be thy name. That is what we want, as we just heard from our tract. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name. And so, Jesus teaches us to ask the Father. Jesus teaches us what to ask him for. He teaches us what to want by teaching us whom to ask. We want his name to be hallowed because it is by hallowing his name that he reveals himself to us as the one who loves us and gladly listens to us. And these must always go together, whom we ask and what we want. We are saved by faith. Faith saves because of what it receives. Faith does not save because of what it does. Faith is not some great virtue that God rewards as though he were impressed with our humility, self-denial, daringness, or willingness to surrender our lives to him. No. Faith is an open hand that God himself coaxes open so that he might fill it. It is God who opens our hand. It is God who fills it. It is God who closes our grip upon that which he gives us to have and to hold. He strengthens us through his word to grasp onto and cling to his word. He teaches us in his word to reach out and ask for more. All this is the work of the Holy Spirit who comes to us and enlivens us through the word of the gospel. The gospel teaches us that we have a gracious Father in heaven by teaching us what Jesus Christ, his Son, has done to reconcile us to God. We are saved by faith when we believe that what Jesus has done for us is certain and sufficient. And for this, we praise him. We praise him in faith. This is what we do. 
Faith saves because of what it receives, not because of what it does. This is very true and important, but faith does very much. Faith that receives is faith that produces fruit. The most basic and primal impulse of faith is to hear and hold on to God's promises. This is what makes faith what it is. But the second most basic impulse of faith is to pray. This is the greatest fruit of faith. First, faith receives, then faith does. If you do not pray to God, then you are certainly not a Christian. But you do not become a Christian by praying. You pray because you are a Christian. You bear fruit, and in your bearing recognize that you depend on the vine, even as you are a branch. Faith that knows God is faith that asks things from God. The first commandment tells us to have no other gods. The second commandment tells us to call upon him in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. The first commandment must come first. We are not saved by praying. We are saved by knowing God. We must know who it is to whom we must pray, who it is we can trust, who it is who loves us. We must begin with the first commandment before we can keep the second. So likewise, we must know who it is we are praying to and begin with our Father before we move on to the first petition and ask him that his name be hallowed. So let us then continue with the introduction to the Lord's Prayer as we learned it in the small catechism. Our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? God would by these words tenderly invite us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children so that we may with all boldness and confidence ask him as dear children, ask their dear Father. In our epistle lesson, we heard St. Paul say, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is one who speaks for the one who sent him. An ambassador for Christ is one who speaks for Christ. Christ's ambassadors plead on Christ's behalf that you be reconciled to God. This is what Jesus himself is pleading when he tells us to call his Father our Father. He is imploring us, tenderly inviting us to believe that his Father is reconciled to us by the blood that he shed for us. By believing this, we ourselves are reconciled to him. It is no small thing to call Jesus Father our Father. To call God our Father is not to recognize merely the generic fatherhood of our Creator. He is indeed our Maker. And all families, all fatherhood, receives its name from Him. He made us from dust in the beginning and breathed into our first earthly father the breath of life. Yet by the sin of our first earthly father, which we were all conceived in and born committing in our hearts, the sin of rebellion and pride and godless self-determination and lust, the sin that we bring to expression 
By thought, word, and deed, every day, sins against God, sins against one another. Sin which we, which we regret. By Adam's sin and ours, our just wages are death. We deserve to go the way of all flesh and return to the dust whence we were taken. And we especially consider this on Ash Wednesday. We are but dust and ashes in the presence of God. He commands us to return to the dust whence we were taken. All our powers and riches and glory are like dust and ashes. We have neither power to praise him or please him or even turn to him. If we turn to him, if our stubborn fists that curse him are ever convinced to open up and receive anything good from him, It is because he has first persuaded us out of pure mercy and kindness. He persuades us by teaching us about ourselves, what he himself has always known. As the psalm puts it, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He pities us whom he created from dust. And in pity, he teaches us what sins we have committed so that we might repent and turn to him who only told us in the first place because he earnestly wants to forgive us. We only know his pity toward us when we learn to concede that dust is all we are without him. And we concede this, that this is all we are by acknowledging our sins before him. In pity, he beholds us. In pity, he became one of us. In pity, he humbled himself so that he could pray on the cross while suffering for all our sins. These words from Psalm 22, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You, Jesus is praying to the Father, you, have brought me to the dust of death. And this is our death, because it was our sin that he carried. On the cross, Jesus bore God's wrath against us so that we might be saved from it. As our epistle lesson continued, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is how he coaxes our stubborn hands open. For in this way, Jesus reveals to us the Father, the love his Father has toward him and the love his Father has toward us. When Jesus tenderly invites us to ask his Father as ours, and Luther nails this, it is the same as him pleading with us, imploring us, to believe that his Father is ours since he is reconciled to us for his own sake. To invite us to believe is to invite us to pray. It is as St. Paul immediately concludes, pleading that we not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. To invite us to believe the gospel is to invite us to pray. It is to invite us to make use of the gospel often, to depend on it, to never be content simply to know it, but to hear it as often as we need to, as often as our own consciences accuse us with the holy law of God, to have boldness and confidence to believe the gospel requires that we hear from his holy word, that it be taught in its truth and purity so that what we believe is true and pure. And so it is very fitting that this is what Jesus teaches us first and foremost to ask for. The first petition, hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is indeed holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be holy among us also. And how is this done? When the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead a holy life according to it. This grant us, dear Father in heaven. But he that teaches and lives otherwise than God's word teaches, profanes the name of God among us. From this preserve us, Heavenly Father. I have always liked how Dr. Luther, in his explanation here, and only in this petition, breaks out in prayer while explaining what we're praying for. This grant us. From this preserve us. How can we explain what God's word means without praying that God grant us faith and protect our faith. We can't. Hearing God's word is not a mere mental exercise, nor is it mere therapeutic regiment. No, hearing God's word is part and parcel with relying on God and asking him for everything we might ever need. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you desire the bread of life, ask for it. And so we ask that we might receive every word in faith. We ask that God would teach our hearts to believe him and to guide our minds to please him in all that we undertake to do. For this, we need his name to be hallowed. When Christ is preached, and when we live according to his word, God's name is hallowed among us. And this is the life that is given to us. This is what it consists in, in hearing God's word and in praying to him and praising him. The second commandment follows the first. The life we live is a life that honors God because the life that is given to us by faith is the life that honored God all the way to the death of the cross, whereby he won for us eternal life. But like our life of prayer, so our life of praise, our life of good works and love is always lacking. We remember what we are and what we deserve. We repent of our sins not only because we fear God, but because God has genuinely worked in our hearts in love for him and for each other. And we see in what we do and say and think 
We see judgments. We see anger and selfishness. We see that we sin against the people we love and we sin against the God whose love we stake our lives upon. And so, we see our great need not only for prayer, but for the knowledge of God who answers our prayer, who hears us. We rely not on prayer as a good work, but rather as the gracious invitation to hear God's word, to hear him teach us, and to give us assurance that he hears both our complaints and our prayers of thanksgiving, as unworthy as they may be. But we do not appeal to our unworthiness. We appeal to the worthiness of him who loved us unto death and who rose again, the worthiness of him whose name is above every name, the worthiness of him who glorified his Father's name, the worthiness of him who shows us how his name is kept holy by teaching us his mercy toward us. We claim the worthiness of him who joins us to his birth, life, death, and resurrection by giving us new birth and holy baptism and making us his father's children. The worthiness of him who, though he lives and reigns in heaven, is not ashamed but highly honored to bring heaven high above us come down to us and to give us his own risen body and blood to eat and to drink for salvation. We claim the worthiness of him who has taught us to pray and for whose sake our Father is happy to hear us when we do. So then, why should we who know this so well, why should we die? As the psalm puts it, what profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? No, it will not. The dust does nothing. But God's word rings true and God's word accomplishes everything we need it to. What is more than dust praises God. What is more than ashes gives him honor. Because God has declared his truth to us. What is reconciled to God praises God, because we have known that truth that sets us free. Children of God praise God, and it starts here. Not where we beg, but where he invites beggars to receive. Not where we show to the world how humble we are, but where we See the humility of Christ proclaimed to the world, in whose humility the world finds salvation, dust and ashes find life, and wheat find eternal joy. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He who raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. And so as ashen and guilty sinners, we lift our hands, we wash our faces, and we have boldness never to stop praying to God for the things that he promises never to stop giving us. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life.
Amen.